I'm super excited to introduce our first guest and founder to leader, Nathan Lomax. He's the co-founder of Quickfire Digital, a leading Shopify agency. They do builds for some of the most incredible D2C brands. I've known Nathan for a number of years now. We also grew up uh, five minutes from each other and we had absolutely no idea until we initially met a couple of years ago. He's got an incredible story to tell. I'm so excited to share this with you and to get into the life of Nathan, into his mind, and into his quote-unquote obsession of, of running a company. So let's get into it. Nathan, firstly, thank you so much for being on the first ever aired episode of Founders Leader. I had to get you on. I have to get your story. Um, I want to just start with a question which I feel like is super simple, but I want to know a bit more just in general. How are you doing? Uh, if you'd asked me this yesterday, I think the story would be very different. Um, right now, stretched, I think is the best word. I was having a, a coffee with someone earlier. Agency life is hard right now, right? Running a business is hard. And I think there's a lot like on LinkedIn. I'm talking about all the good bits and everything else. And look, they're not incorrect, but that's half the story. And everyone looks at you to be the smiley face. And it's lovely to come on today and share the person behind the mask. And today I plan to share with you all that, yes, by and large, it's great. But there are days where they're dark. They're really dark. And I think it's important that everyone sees both sides. When you say hard, do you mind diving into a bit more why? How long you got? Like, I, I think, look, if, when you're growing something and you're growing something at pace, there's some amazing, amazing highs. Okay, like we win some amazing brands. I'm incredibly competitive. And that's a real challenge because... I can't help but look at others and want to do more. And it's become a bit of an unhealthy obsession. If I'm really like honest with you, I wake up in the morning, I think about work. I get in the shower, I think about work. I take my daughter to school, I think about work. I go to work, I think about work. I walk the dog, I think about work. I get a shower before bed, I think about work. I go to the gym, I think about work. I say goodnight to my partner and then I think about work. Like. It's all-encompassing, and sometimes it gets a bit much. And there's no release. Like, I've been lucky to have a few holidays this year. I go on holiday, I work. Yeah, I can't, I can't switch off. And I can't switch off because I love it, but it's also a bit addictive. And I think that's something that I personally need to address before it's too late. Um, and it's, I pride myself on having quite good um, self-awareness, so I know when I'm getting close. And we've caught us on a day-to-day -day where I'm close. And I'm close because we work so hard to achieve what we're achieving and to create the agency we're creating. But sometimes uh, there's something called love languages and you talk about like, what's your love language? For me, it's words, I think it's words of affirmation or something, like basically people just saying, you're, you're fucking great. And, and it's lovely when it comes from the community and when it comes from, I don't know, other people in the network. But you know what, if it's, not your partner or not your team, it, it doesn't carry the same weight. Like, all you just want is them to be like, you're, you're fucking great. You're really good. Like, And sometimes, I'm really lucky at home, I get it home. But the team, like, they just look at you as the guy that's going to keep bringing the sales in and keep doing it time after time after time. And what happens when you can't? Mm. What happens when you've got nothing left to give? That's hard. There we are. <laughs> Where did that start? So like, knowing you yeah. behind this... I'd describe you as probably like your typical serial entrepreneur in terms of you just got that 
constantly wanting to do a million different things. You know me, we're constantly WhatsApping about loads <laughs> of different opportunities. Yeah. We're always, where. I want to know from you though, like where did that start? Because I know you set up Quickfire quite a while ago with some co-founders, but where did that whole entrepreneurial, I'm obsessed, I can't stop area start? So my parents uh, work in the hospitality industry. Okay, and so they have hotels and at the age of four or five, I would beg my dad to go into work. Like, I really want to come, dad. And look, when you're four or five, we've never had Christmas on Christmas Day. Okay, Christmas in my house is the 27th of December. So on the 25th, I'd go in and at four or five, all the people having their Christmas lunch, they feel so bad for you. I made the tips are unbelievable. Right, because they're like, what, this little four or five-year-old is missing Christmas to work? Here's 20 quid. You're like, oh, my God, it's amazing. So I've always had a really hard, all the summer holidays, I'd always work. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love meeting people. I love helping people. That then grew. And then in 2008, uh, I've shared this story a few times, um, my parents went bankrupt. And they lost one hotel. And I went from not quite having it all, but almost having what you wanted when you wanted. In terms of we would have nice holidays, we'd have nice cars, we'd live in a beautiful house. And then to see the other side when you lost all of that and you were, we were living in caravans, like, I'm not a small person. My sister is a similar build. My mum and dad are similar. Like we are not small people. And for four of us living in a caravan is hard, right? And the sacrifice my parents then gave to make sure that we still went to private school. Like, admittedly, the school gave us like a 95% bursary. Amazing. But we still had the opportunities. My granddad chipped in. Everyone rallied around. And that work ethic has left this fire inside me to be like, I have to, I have to prove that they made the right decision, which is sometimes, like they'll say now, I'm really proud of you, I'm really proud of what you achieved, but that's not enough. Right? I've, I've got to show them why I've got to be successful. It's not like a want or I'd love to have a success. I have to. I have to show them that the faith they gave in me and my sister, the sacrifice they made, the times where... I mean, just to think, like, they're driving to school. And at the time, I'll never forget, we had this red Subaru car, and it was a bag of shit. And I would make them park it down the road because I was embarrassed to have it in front of my friends. Now I've grown up, and I'm like, imagine if that was me, and I just lost my business, and my children wouldn't let me drive to school because they're embarrassed. Like, Christ, I'm doing all I can. Like, have a bit of, like, emotional intelligence and support me. But so, yeah, just I just think they've got such hard work ethics. They're always working. I'm now always working. And also I see the rewards that work can give. So I see the life I'm able to give our my stepchildren and my partner, Nikki, and I, I want more of that. We had the most amazing time in Antigua last year. And we're experiencing things I never dreamt of being able to achieve, particularly when we lost everything. I thought that was my life. And it, it really upsets me when I see people that think that's their lot. Yeah, they're like, this this is it. This I've been born into this and this is what I've got. And look, for many people around the world, unfortunately, that's reality but I'm not willing to give up on that not being my reality and me shaping what is to be my reality, which hopefully is more than now. The, the challenge then becomes what's more and when is more enough? Yeah, and, and now I'm like, okay, it's we have a lovely home life and we've just renovated the house and incredibly fortunate, there's always more, right? And at work, there's always more. Okay, we closed four deals, well, where's the fifth? Right? And at, at what point do you just be a little kinder to yourself and... And that's why I think I need people around me like our WhatsApps, et cetera, because actually, if not, I just keep going. And if I didn't have a partner at home and kids and, and things to make me realize why I'm doing it, I just keep going. And and then, yeah, not so good. I must take it's told us like you use the word there, but like the theme I'm getting overarching is sacrifice. So like so I, I relate to you really well. So like my parents, they fled from Croatia during the war in the 90s. 
came to the UK with absolutely nothing, aside from scratch. So I've kind of, I grew up, like we literally had nothing. Like my mum would go for like reduced in the evenings at Sainsbury's. That was how I grew up. So to now have a business, there was always like a hunger in me, which was like, uh, I have to not just make them proud, but I have to do something more. Yeah. So I fully hear you. But the word that I use quite often is there's an element of sacrifice that I feel like I've made. And from what I'm understanding from you, it sounds like you've made a huge sacrifice. Like what, what toll does that take on you? Uh, I think that uh, I, the sacrifice you make is that I've chosen a path now where I am always the life and soul of the party. And that's 90% of the time my character type. When you talk about introvert, extrovert, 90% of the time that is the person I like to be. But let me assure you, there's 10% of the time where I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be making the jokes. I don't want to be centre of attention. I don't want to be any of that. I just want to be blending in with the crowd and just being myself and actually sometimes I come to London and I stay in a hotel and yeah I, I don't mind admitting that sometimes I'm due to go to an event and I know how hard it is running events right so I feel compelled to go but sometimes I just want to sit in my room and have dominoes and like not do anything and not talk to anyone and so when we go on holiday and I was oh let's let's go and do this going like no I don't want to speak to anyone and like oh over Christmas what did you do did you see loads of people no now I sat inside and I just didn't entertain I just was at one with myself and my partner and the people that are really important to me and my family and yeah I, I mean we're making a massive sacrifice right now if you if you try and build an agency to exit um, which inevitably is is what we're trying to achieve right I just I feel like we're so close yet so far. And so the sacrifice feels like it has to happen even more than it has in the last few years. If I've got more to give and I'm kind of learning stuff about myself, like, is there any more in the tank? I don't know. Um, but also it hurts so much more now when things don't go to plan. That everything, every move now feels like it carries so much more weight, um, which is a weird position to be in because there's so much pressure. Um, and sometimes it's hard to, to release that pressure. Talk to me about LinkedIn then. So you're like, <laughs> is all of this, everything that you're sort of saying, there's like this hunger to, you wanted to almost be, you wanted to create something amazing. I would class you almost as like a micro-influencer on LinkedIn, I think. <laughs> Which I don't know if you'd use that the same label yourself. garbage. No. But <laughs> where where did that come from? The need, the desire to, I want to build some kind of platform on this plat on this social media channel, which I know will benefit X. Where did all of that come from? So it started with Spencer Gallagher from Agency Nomics, uh, an agency um, uh, Cactus, and yeah, I I really admire him. He's taught me so much, and we talked about meaningful conversations. And I then read Daniel Priestley's Key Person of Influence, and we talk about the red like imagine a dartboard, imagine the red circle. All of the opportunities come to the center, the red circle. Okay, and and so. To dominate any industry, you have to be in the red circle, not the green or the bullshit around the edge, like that bit in the middle. And then you think, okay, well, the more conversations I was having, so when lockdown happened, and I went from having 50 conversations a month to 20 a day, every, and everyone's like, yeah, 20 a day. Honestly, 20 a day for 30 minutes a time for 10 hours without breaks, without lunch. I wouldn't advocate it now, but that's what we did. Okay, and then I saw the growth of the agency and the pipeline and the reputation growing everything else, and I was like, oh my God. This sacrifice or graft, etc., has, has got us to this point. And now I'm trying to find the thing that's going to turn the needle like that did. And I'm desperately searching for, I didn't want to go back to 10 hours a day nonstop on calls, but that turned the needle. 
and I want to find something that does that ideally without the 10 hours a day um, so yeah I mean I lost my train of thought a bit but I think that fire in me came from Spencer then I said actually on LinkedIn there's a bit about <laughs> praise recognition like I, I I can't say I don't get those endorphins like everyone else does when you get traction on your post I also can't say how my head is in the bin when I don't <laughs> yeah and I I we announced the other week we're opening in Dubai and it reached like 55,000 people and it makes me feel really warm inside. Um, I announced the other day that we won a new client, six, six engagements. And <laughs> I can't tell you how shit that makes me feel as well. So I think a lot of it is just, just, I don't even know why I do it if I'm honest because it started off by helping others and I would use my platform as a way. And, and now I'm starting, now I've built an audience like now I'm starting to do like these platform takeovers, which give me so much fulfillment, which is I've got a real good friend called Martin Oswick and he's had some difficult times and he's now closed his agency and his daughter's got an opportunity to, to sing in New Zealand. And that's cost the family like three or four grand and they're not in a position to do that. They've got three or four kids. So he's done this crowdfunding thing and I think what you'll see in the coming days is I'm going to do a post and just use my network for good. Like I'm investing in some brands and can I give them the platform? I'm, I spoke to an amazing young founder yesterday L and, and she's built an incredible clothing business and I want her to get the traction from it. So I love helping others. Now I've got the platform to do that. But originally, if I'm honest, it was just for validation. That's the word I was looking for. It's for validation. I can't tell you who from. I literally don't know. But it's from other people saying, shit, he chose not to go to university, which is another bee in my bonnet. I didn't go the uni route when everyone, and when I say everyone, I think bar like two went to university and they've all gone on and done fantastic things. And I have such a bee in my bonnet to show society that that is not the only way that now I'm constantly posting to almost validate myself that I've made the right decision. You do a lot with academia though, right? So you do a lot with like your old school. I know that you work with a couple of others as well. So like, what, 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 where's that link and why? Well, I guess like when the school found out we'd gone back, I mean, this story always gets me a little bit sad, but I go into school and I'm having the best time, right? I've been given this opportunity. The school is 450 years old. They give out two scholarships at 50% of the fees. Like the fees are extraordinary. So 50% is still a lot of money, but it's it's more accessible. Okay, so I get selected. And I wasn't amazing at sport or amazing at education or whatever. I was just okay at most things. And so anyway, I get the scholarship, amazing. Then I've got this drive that I've got to prove to them, et cetera, et cetera. Then I come into school one day and I tell them that I'm going to have to leave because what's happened to my parents? Every child, teacher, groundskeeper, you name it, signed these bits of paper as a petition to keep me at the school, which I still have today. And I'm talking sheets and sheets and sheets of names. And I can't tell you how amazing that makes you feel. The trouble is, um, it's also lit this fire inside me that I can't put out, which is like the school then chose to give me a 95% bursary so I could stay and all of a sudden, this doom and gloom situation, I'm suddenly there and I'm having the most amazing opportunities. I'm meeting amazing people. I'm playing in amazing sports teams. I'm doing everything I've always dreamt of. And I couldn't have done that without the community and with the school. And so now the school are like, can you come and sit on this committee? Can you come and do this? Can you? I'm like, absolutely. Like, if I could, I would love to make enough money to give someone like me the opportunity I had. So I'd call it rather vainly, maybe not the Nathan Lomax bursary, but something <laughs> that gives someone the opportunity I had. I literally, I'll go and find them. Ideally, it'd have an entrepreneurial link. And I'd say, okay, bring me your idea, pitch your idea. You need incubation, you need support. 
you also need a great education as a foundation, I'm going to personally put you through this school. I would love to do that, but that's a lot of money. So right now what I'm thinking about is can I create an investment fund where people that leave 10 years afterwards can tap into four or five grand, whatever it is, is a bit of a, a kickstart to help them realize their dreams of running a business. Um, but yeah, I'm super passionate about education. I'm super passionate. I actually saw my granddad last night who's someone I hold so dear to me and gave me that opportunity. Um, and he was saying he gave up his pension and put his pension into education for his children and then his grandchildren. And I think, if I could be half the guy he is, I'd, I'd be happy days. Um, so yeah, I love academia. I love schooling. I think sometimes the school system's a little broken. I think there's lots of work to be done. But I also think bloody hell, they do a good job in tough circumstances. I, I, I look back and I always used to mm, not mess around, but I'd always just about get that balance right between having a bit of fun and studying, etc. But I look at some people and I was like, you are a proper little asshole. And like <laughs> that poor teacher that had to part with that, like, that's that <laughs> tough. Like they're doing their best, right? And they've also got families and they also are thinking like, like they probably don't want to be there either. So just give them a bit more time. Um, but yeah, all in all, I love supporting schools. I'd love to do it more. Uh, I love speaking in schools at all age groups. I really get a buzz out of that and try and inspire the next generation. But there's only so much time to go round, and that's the next challenge is saying no more. Uh, and I was on a call just today and uh, five minutes into the pitch, because uh, obviously we'll talk about investing, et cetera, and I've been doing a bit more of that and five minutes into the pitch, so I'm really sorry. I don't want to waste your time on mine, but I'm not the right fit for this. And I feel more confident doing that now because I know the value of my time, but even still I sometimes book up like, 30 meetings a day and this, the other day I had a call with someone at half 10 at night because they needed some help and I love it but then I resent it because I'm like oh, I'm so tired like I should have gone to bed um, but I can't help I can't help but just like try and help support and pay it forwards and build reciprocity and it, it comes back I promise you it comes back um, so yeah one thing I love because um, so I, I imagine there's similarities between us but we both set up an agency but I feel like what you're trying to do and what I'm getting from this as well as what I'm trying to do is you're trying to use that as a force for good for other things. So it's like that was almost like platform one. And now what you're trying to do is go to platform from you anyway, 105 yeah. from the sounds of it. You want to go into, into cloud nine. So like what outside of all of this, what other opportunities has setting up that, that one day when you decided let's launch Quickfire Digital, yep. it's going to just be a dev agency. From those days, what has what opportunities has that actually given you now that actually when you look back, you think I could never have had this before unless I branched out and did my own thing? I think, first of all, it, it, now we've built it, we're getting opportunities to speak. So I'm on uh, D2C Live and doing all sorts of nice things. I come on shows like this and I, I love sharing the story and trying to inspire others. I... I've got opportunities to invest, um, which I could have never dreamt of. And I never realized how accessible investing was. I always had this theory of like angels and these big business tycoons, like you don't have <laughs> to be that to invest, right? You can invest and I sit on boards and I advise and I love that. Mentoring is probably the biggest passion of mine. So I had a mentor called Neil Adams and I was in New Zealand traveling. I mean, how tragic is it? And I'd had enough, I wanted to come home. Um, and I messaged him and said like, can I work for free, blah, blah, blah. And I messaged thousands of people. I got blocked from LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> but then I replied and got back on and messaged loads more people. Uh, and the third person I met when I was back was this Neil Adams guy. Took me under his wing, free of charge, every Tuesday. I'd go around his house. He'd make me lunch. He'd give me a day of his time for free for about two and a half years. And that has also lit another fire in my belly to be like, Christ, you've now got to pay that forward and do it for someone else. 
So now I've been immensely blessed to do it for four or five people and then they started to get success. That's addictive as well, right? When they're getting success, you're like, oh, can do it more, can do it more. And now when you speak, more people come and you mentor more and then more people come. And it's just like this snowball that keeps building and building and building. And now the opportunities to speak, to mentor, to teach. I, I even got invited to like do some weird MBA program <laughs> and like all sorts. For like, free. For free. Like I, I had to... I wasn't on the program. I had to like teach the program and I'm like, what this, I sometimes feel like a bit of a fraud, right? I'm like, what this little guy from Norwich, like, <laughs> come on. Um, but the opportunities that I'm getting are amazing and I'm immensely blessed at those um, or for those. But sometimes I struggle when to know when the right opportunity is and like take the investing as example. I now get maybe seven, eight decks a month. Like it's really humbling but at the same time, I'm so shit at saying no. I'll be like, oh, I'll invest in this business. Yeah, no worries what you need. And I'm like, oh, I don't like the product, but I just feel so bad. Um, so I need to be a bit tougher with that. Like, I think people talk about selfishness as a negative. But actually, I really want to embrace in the next six to 12 months how I can be more positively selfish. Like by me being more positively selfish, I am freeing up my time to do something that I can help someone else with and offer more value. But by keep being a yes man and oh, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, I am detracting from the opportunity of doing something there where I can add far more value than here where I'm talking about, yeah, there was a brand that asking the other day and I'm just like, I'm just not the right fit. This is terrible. So, yeah, the opportunities are amazing um, and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I still pinch myself sometimes, but there's another thing, of course, that chance to reflect is... Yeah, I come on the other thing like this and I love it because actually verbalizing it all makes me realize like, shit, this is this is my story. I'm not reading this or listening to this on a podcast on a sun lounger and this is someone else. This is my story. And like, there's a real like, oh, weird moment where you're like, fucking hell, it's been all right, you know? It's been all right. It's tough. It's really tough right now. There's things I'd love to change, but by God, has it been an amazing 10, 10 years since I left, or 28 now, like 10 years. Mental. On that though, you must have got to a point. So like every every founder that builds a successful company gets to a point where they're no longer really just the founder. You have to become a leader within that company because you're surrounded by people that are better than you. How did you find that transition going from this is my baby, I'm obsessed with this, I'm fully in control of everything to actually have to lead a team of people? I haven't. I haven't, I haven't done it well at all. I am a control freak. I still have calls with clients every two weeks. You, I'd never call you a control freak. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but I think that I, I'm calling our clients every two weeks, not because, and these are project clients, right? Retainers have got retainer team, et cetera, and I'm a little bit more hands-off, but projects, I just want them to feel loved and supported and to know that uh, we're not just another agency. And I can't, no matter how much I try, I can't ingrain that DNA. You've either got it or you haven't got it. And it's so, you can tell it a mile off when it's not natural. When you're like, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Project Manager, can you go and call this client and ask them how their dog is? Well, if you're doing that and you're not natural at doing that, that is just the weirdest conversation you can imagine. Whereas actually, if you genuinely care how the dog is, you can tell. And I, I always remember, so my, uh, one of our clients, Fourth Clay, like, I absolutely love that brand. And Sarah, I really love my relationship with Sarah and Rebecca, they're an amazing team. And so Sarah's been on holiday and I was genuinely interested to where she was going, what she was doing, etc. And you can't, you can't fake that. 
right? And so I, I really struggle to let go. I I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm unashamedly myself. And sometimes that resonates with the team. And when you're leading, like it will always be me doing the quarterly presentation and the end of year, like well done team and rallying the troops and in the commercial meeting, like, come on, we can do this, etc. Um sometimes recently I've let I've let the other side slip in, which is actually this this hasn't gone so well and this bit isn't good enough. And the other day someone pushed a feature live and it, it wasn't right and I just was so incensed of all the hard work and graft and effort to get to this point on an amazing brand and someone just hadn't cared as much as I cared and just rushed it and didn't get it right. And I was just, I went in that meeting and all the development team was sat there and I was like, this is not okay. These are not the standards we set. And yeah, in hindsight, I maybe should have gone a bit softer, but I'm really struggling to balance the my wish for where the standard should be and the journey the agency needs to go on to hit those standards. I want it yesterday. Like, why are we not doing certain things that I deem as normal? But then when you talk to people, you realize that's not normal. Yeah, the standards that we have as founders sometimes are not attainable to a whole team. And I find that really hard to accept. I'm nothing special. I'm just an everyday bloke from Norwich with a partner and two children. Very stereotypical. There is nothing there that you're telling me that you can't do. But again, with the marketing team, stop comparing yourself to, oh, like we're doing better than them. You're not competing against them. You're competing against them up there. Like the whole mindset shift is massive. And I'm trying to get like, I want people to obsess as much as me. Like, great, you've done 45 events. How are you going to do 50? Great, you've got 1,000 people in the community. How do we get 5,000? Yeah, and the trouble is, is misinterpreted, that can come across as, not great leadership. Yeah, because I'm I'm saying, well done, pack yourselves in the back, what's next? Because actually sometimes people don't want to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. They they just want to re reflect on what they've done and that's okay. So yeah, on balance, I'm struggling to make the transition. I'm struggling to let go. I'm trying to bring people in to help. Um, I don't want to lose the DNA of what makes us special and unique. Uh, a lot of the work that comes to us is through referral. I'm really proud of that. But look, if, if you send us a client, as you have done many times, and we're hugely grateful for that, that's not just a client. That's a relationship with you and I that we've built over time. That's a relationship between Novos and, and Quickfire. Like, there's, there's a lot at stake. Yeah, and, and the people don't always see that. They see, oh, this client has been really unreasonable. I, therefore, am going to look at this tomorrow, and I'm not going to respond to that click-up task. As an example, not maliciously, just because it's now 5 o'clock, etc. No, no, no. No, no, I don't care what they've done or said. Respond to the click-up task. There should never anyone go home with a click-up task unresponded to. Because it's not just a relationship with a client and their network. It's you guys and our agency. It's you and I at a really personal level. Like, there's so much at play, but people don't see that. They just see that this client and them, and it's very transactional. I don't want them to see the bigger picture without overwhelming people and putting too much pressure on. We just did the project for Fourth Glade. Really exciting. How did that come to us? It was an introduction through someone else. So there's so many moving parts. It was like, just don't drop the ball. And actually me checking in two weeks, if the ball has been, looks like it might even be dropped, I can pick it up. I'm not doing it because I want to micromanage a team. I'm doing it because I want to support. But sometimes that over-eagerness to support can come across as micromanagement. And sometimes people don't feel like they've got the autonomy and that's not great leadership, right? 
Do you genuinely believe deep down as a founder of a company that everyone else in the team can obsess as much as you do about what they're doing within the team? Yes. Yeah, I do. It would be too easy to say no, and the, the common answer is no. Um, no is the easy way out. I could have a smaller team that absolutely obsess if they want to come on that journey, and, and that can be taught. Okay, so yes, I believe they can. Do I think we will is another conversation, and actually when you're building a team of 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, can you have that many people obsessing? Possibly not, but I've got people now that obsess, and that's what I look for when I'm recruiting and when I'm talking to people and when I'm working with people. But sometimes my style isn't everybody's style. And I need to really appreciate that because I sometimes can't understand why people don't obsess. And I'm just like, and, and it doesn't just have to be obsessing about getting something right or whatever. It's just customer service. Like I've grown up in a world of hospitality when as soon as that starter's down in like a minute or so, you're coming back, is everything okay? Well, that should be no different to a project. You've onboarded, a week, is everything okay? Have you got everything you need? Oh, I couldn't remember how to do ClickUp. Well, the client's not stupid, right? That's not their fault. You just need to get them to more training and help them. And okay, our, our main course. Okay, well, yeah, I've dropped my knife. Well, let me get you another knife. Like It's just super basic, ingrained at me from a very young age, and I want everyone to operate like that. And I believe that obsession is what sets us apart, right? People say, well, why have you grown as quickly as you have and to what you have, et cetera, et cetera. If I didn't care as much, we'd be another vanilla agency. And to, for the record, there is nothing wrong with that. But that's not the life I want. And that's not the team I want. And it's not the clients I want. I want them to obsess. And I want to be in it with them. If a client is underperforming, if a client is having challenges, I don't want us to be that agency that says, speak to your speak to your PBC agency. Speak no. Get into analytics and try and work it out. Help them. Get on a call with them. Give them comfort. Get in the trenches with them and build meaningful relationships. It's the dark times and the down times that will build longevity. Everyone can spin up a Shopify store, right? Lots of people can do it, more and more so now. Like, go deeper. And that's the obsession I need people to have. Like, think about it on a personal level, on a business level. Okay, I want to know your numbers from last week. Why do I want to know your numbers? Because I want to see if they're up or down. And if they're up, I want to pat ourselves on the back. And if they're down, I want to see why they're down. And I want to do something about it. And it might be nothing to do with us. It might be nothing to do with web at all. But I also don't want that clock started. Because that's another thing that pisses me off. We're not a solicitor. We don't need to bill for every second. I get commerciality and all that good stuff. But sometimes there's like a human element that just money muddies the waters. right? And that's perhaps why we could be more profitable or whatever. But I would sooner, I call it the Morrison's test. Can you go down every aisle of Morrison's and know that you can look everyone in the eye and be perfectly happy that you've done the right thing. And if you can, happy days. If I'm ducking and diving and hiding myself in the freezer aisle because there's a client over there that was pissed off, I hate it. So, so going back to the obsession bit, how do, you, how do you close that gap between I believe people can be as obsessed with me to I'm not sure people will be as obsessed with me? How do you close that gap? Or how do you intend to close that gap? Well, the first thing people have said is you need to lower expectations. But I, I don't buy it. Right? If I lower expectations and deliver sub-service, subpar service, just so everyone can keep up. That can't be the way. That can't be. It's the biggest cop-out, I think, because um, the amount of times people have said to me, personally as well as work, but just lower your expectations of people, of things that will happen in your life. Just lower the expectations because then you'll be less disappointed when the good things do happen. 
I always look at it like, I just feel that's a cop out. Because you're constantly then just living in a state of just being pessimistic. And it's like, what kind of way is that to achieve anything? So I almost see it as a bit of a cop out. I think a lot. In an ideal world, I'd give myself... Uh, recently, I've been in, in the agency a lot. And while the team might not always love it, um, I love being there because I feel like I can influence. And I can just have a light hand on the tiller. I don't need to hold the whole boat and steer it, etc. I just need to be in the room to hear the conversations, to just gently guide and be like, actually, we might want to consider this. And my job in that agency is to be the voice of the client. Because too often in agencies, everyone around the table is thinking of the agency. Yeah, no one's thinking of the client. So, oh, we're going to do this because it's going to make our lives so... Yeah, but what about the client? What about, oh, we're going to create this SLA because it's going to make our lives so much easier and manage expectations. Yeah, but what about the client? Well, actually, they don't have the time or thought to think, is it a P1, P1? I don't give two fucks. Like, I just want to get my job done. So, yeah, I I think I'm not going to lower expectation. I will continue to fight with every breath I have to make sure we're not another vanilla agency. And I'm talking to the guys about this conversation tomorrow as we plan for 2024. What does that look like? I have a very clear vision of what we want to do. Do we want to go enterprise and be selling 150K projects? You know what? I don't. I don't. And it'd be very easy to sit here and go, yeah, we're just going to go like everyone else. I'm going to go after the big fish, etc. I want to absolutely dominate mid-market 30 to 60K builds. I just want to absolutely dominate it, like obsess over it, be the go-to people for that bracket there. Brands from two to 20 million, like just absolutely obsess over it. You might get the odd one at 50, you might get the odd one at 1.2, no problem. But I do not want to be doing 150 grand builds one week and 15 grand builds the next. I just don't want it. I really want to obsess over the middle market and how we service those exceptionally and build a fantastic client base. We've got some amazing clients, amazingly fortunate, more of that. And that comes down to obsessing over tunnel with those people, like narrow the the kind of scope. We're going after those people. Pretty passionate there, sorry. All good. <laughs> what are some misconceptions you think people have of founders, of business owners, business leaders that you kind of want to talk about? Um, there, there is a mask that is worn um, every day when you get up and don't think that just because they're happy or coming across as happy that they are happy. I have four people in my network that have committed suicide in the last four weeks. That's a massive problem. All male. The biggest killer of males age 18 to 35 is suicide. Yeah, like do not think because someone comes across as a life and soul, etc., that they can't go to dark places because they can. And sometimes you picking up the phone, you checking in, you seeing if everything's all right, is far more valuable than you could ever realize. That's the first thing. The second thing is that just sometimes we get it wrong as well. Yeah, and no, found as much as I might fight the ground, sometimes I know I've got it wrong and, and we need to have the humility to realize we've got it wrong and to hold our hands up and say sorry. Like when you're driving such high standards all the time, sometimes we get it wrong as well. And I think people need to be more accepting of people making mistakes. And I need to be more accepting of people making mistakes as well. Uh, that's the second. And the I'll have to one-up you on that one, though, I think. Go on. I, think um, we, I don't think we sometimes make mistakes. I mean, we've got Georgia and Nicole here <laughs> in the background. So Nicole's been with us ever since the start. I was employee number one. 
I think I can probably say in front of you, we made so many mistakes over the years that we've made the wrong calls. We've done things in the wrong way. We've not communicated things in the best way possible. We're messing up probably all the time, but a lot of people won't even see it. A lot of the company won't even see in the background. We've just made a mistake. Will you turn quickly? Or we might say the wrong thing at the wrong time and stuff. How, if you make a mistake, so one thing I'm getting from you is high performer, overachiever, want to do so many things. I feel like I resonate with it. But at the same time, whenever you make a mistake, you beat yourself up about it. For me, it takes a few days to recover from a mistake because I'm yeah. thinking, why am I still doing this? Why am I still making these mistakes, even yeah. though they're a natural part of running a business? How do you how do you respond when you make a mistake, whether it's you or someone in the team? How do you what's the psychological process that you go through? Uh, for me, it's it comes from validation from others. So I have a very tight knit community around me of seven or eight mainly agency founders uh, you being one of them that we'd share like warts and all and and the other day i was on the way home on friday and i called one of my agency founder friends and and we have very in-depth conversations where we're talking about and nothing's off limits and i think that vulnerability is rare in males to share like that level of vulnerability both personal life and, and work life um but I, I need more of that. I need the ability to say to people, because also they say, don't air your dirty laundry in public. If you've got a referral partner over here, let's say you and I, right? And if I said to you, Antonio, this has gone absolutely disastrously. But in the back of your mind, you were just about to refer a lead. And you're like, yeah, but is if that's going on, then is that going to be right for that person? And actually we could do with that lead. So it's just about finding those people that you know, you have that depth of relationship to say, you're not going to judge me either way here this is the honest reality of what's going on. And sometimes it's not all roses and home life, work life, whatever it may be. Um, and you need someone to share that with. So yeah, particularly when I make mistakes, I, I do too dwell on it and think, okay, like Christ, why have I done that? Can't undo it. Uh, and then I start to get to the realization that actually it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. And just in the heat of the battle, you, I have every intention of what I want to do. And then it actually happens and you're like, nah, I, I didn't make the right call there. I should have done that differently. Um, but look, we all make mistakes. And the one thing I would say is you've got to fail fast. Uh, and that's when I sat down with an agency friend of mine for lunch last week. We looked at two reasons why agencies are breaking a mill versus not breaking a mill. One was having the vulnerability and self-awareness to get external help in, non-exec boards, et cetera. Um, and the other was those that are pulling the trigger and failing fast. They're doing stuff, they're trying stuff versus that agency that spent nine months writing a white paper, um, but they can't get it out of the door because they're worried that the logos are not consistent <laughs> uh, or they're like, I don't know, the page numbers are on the left, not the right. Like, does not matter. Get it out, test, get feedback, do it again. And that relentless pursuit for more linked with the obsession. I think I oh, look at the events this year, right? Rose down a sterling job, 45 events. Most agencies are struggling to get out three or four. Yeah, 45. Just get it done trial it does it work do more of it does it not stop it do something else how many mistakes were made out of those 45 events do you think that you can well, think of here we go so um every time we've run an event on linkedin bar one i've posted about it on social the one i didn't is a breakfast event in july this year 14 people booked three people attended you didn't see that on linkedin did you that was uh, kept very quiet so yeah, that uh, you know what was that a mistake? 
we then learned from it that actually every night before you needed to email everyone and remind them. And in the morning you say, can't wait to see you. And now I have most of them on WhatsApp and I'll even text them on, on the tube on the way in saying, can't wait to see you in 20 minutes. And they go, oh Christ, yeah, that event I've committed to and I've overslept or whatever. So that one, we definitely made a mistake. Um, a couple of others, a couple of times we've put, we've had a venue booked and the Eventbrite and the Google Meet have two different venues. Um, so we've sent half of them to the Ivy and half of them to King's Cross and <laughs> that wasn't ideal. Uh, <laughs> uh, just one this week, I mean that little thing, told the, the guests 8.30, told me 8, so I'm there at 8.05, stressing like you wouldn't believe that I've had zero shows to an event. And then Rose calls and be like, don't hate me. And I was like, what's up? She's like, I've told him 8.30. I was like, Oh, well, I'm kind of relieved. Like, it's okay. Um, but by and large, like, we built a community of over a thousand people this year alone. I'm immensely proud of that achievement. We've got some incredible brands. I've just had Ted Baker book into the next event. Like, we've got some awesome brands coming along, and and it's really cool to be able to mix with them and share knowledge with them. The speaker caliber goes up. I think about the Thrive event you guys did recently and how well attended that was, and the great speakers and content, and it gives you the confidence to do it again. The only thing I would say is running events the hour before, there is nothing quite like it you stress, you are pacing up and down. Are people going to come? Is it going to go okay? Am I going to say something stupid on mic? The list goes on and then it's weird. The lights come on and you're just in go mode and you ju it just happens. And then at the end of it, you're like, oh, geez, I did it. And you don't think anything of it. And then you're like, on to the next one. I don't remember so much of our Thrive event. I literally don't remember it. That's it. A period of like, about half seven in the morning to about half eight. I know George was running like a headless chicken everywhere. I was so stressed like the whole morning. Just like, How's this even going to go? I just yeah. do not remember so much of it. But one thing I do remember is just I know where we need to do, what we need to do, where we need to be, who needs to be where, at what time. I was so just focused, but I just can't remember so much of it. And the thing is, is that there's there's loads of agencies that would have had similar events, similar setups, similar ideas of speakers, but they wouldn't have done it. Yeah, they wouldn't have pulled the trigger because there's this self-niggling doubt of, oh, but what if this? What if that? What if the speaker pulls out? Like, there's always ways around it. What if someone's ill? What about if someone's on holiday? Like, People step up and rise to it. And it's amazing for the team as well, right? You get an opportunity to present and share what the, the magic is happening at Novos. And I think it's really important to do more of that. Um, I think one of the best things we've done the events is the collaboration with agencies, with partners, with sponsors. Like, that's been unbelievable to see the amount of sponsors that are prepared to, to put the money where the mouth is and say, I'll back you. I'll back you. I believe in you. Like, that's really nice. And now to think that the real test is 2024. Rose tells me we've got a, a highly subscribed kind of a big events list, but also a lot of people wanting to sponsor. Proof's in the pudding, right? Like when she comes to me, says, Nate, we've sold underground a sponsorship. The events are covered, then I'll rest easy. But until then, uh, I'm like, okay, what else can we do? How do we get them better? And that's the thing when it's just Rose running the events and now we've got Caitlin in and Katie's coming across doing more marketing and Rich gets involved. And how do we make them even better? Yeah, so how do you now make sure the content's better and the venue's better and the food's better and the experience is better and the follow-up's better and finding the, the guests in the first place is better. So every agency I know does LinkedIn outreach to fill them. Well, why are we not calling people and inviting them personally? Why are we not sending handwritten letters? Why are we not doing email outreach? Like we're just doing one thing, but we should be doing all of those things. And I think it's probably quite exhausting for our poor team so we go back to leadership like they probably think bloody hell Nath can you not just be satisfied that we filled the event yeah well I am but now how do we run a 150 person event or a 300 person event or I really want to run the Shopify Awards I think it's criminal 
that Shopify don't do something for their own community around the Shopify Awards or the DTC Awards with Shopify, like just Shopify brands, come along, let's recognize the amazing stuff that's going on in our community. Mm. Uh, I think that I approached them about it, said I wanted to do it. Oh, they can't be seen affiliated with it. Oh, come on. Like, stop the bullshit. Like, fine, just don't do it. We'll do it ourselves. But that's a big, a big commitment. My last question on this before I ask you the very last question. You mentioned you had three attendees last year. You didn't post on LinkedIn. Based on everything we've talked about today, if you had that opportunity again, would you share it on LinkedIn? Yes. Transparency or not? Yeah. Yeah, I should have. I felt fraudulent that I didn't. And I didn't because it goes back to that thing of people patting you on the back, etc. I I don't want hundreds of messages. People, it's okay, like, don't worry, like you're doing really well, etc. I wasn't after that. But at the same time, I'm also loving the narrative that's being told. I'm loving the story of Quickfire. There's nothing better than when you go to an old school reunion or something else and someone's like, you are smashing it. And you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Yeah. But at the same time, deep down, you don't feel that. You don't think you are smashing it. But it's so nice when people recognize it. And I don't, I don't know, maybe there is still a bit of a fear of failure. Maybe there is still a fear of letting people down. Like, I also don't, I don't want anyone to think that it was anyone else's fault but mine. Right, like, it'd be easy to say, oh, this person could have done this, this person could have done this. Like, if I followed up with them personally, maybe we wouldn't have had three. But it would be easy to go, oh, okay, this person didn't do that. Like, we filled the event. The team could have done no more. Um, So yeah, I might still post about it. I might still, when I do a bit of a wrap up, I might say, look, 44 events, amazing. One event, not so, and this is why. You should. Yeah. The transparency. Watch this, watch this space. Okay, <laughs> I will. Um, this conversation has been amazing. It's exactly what I wanted from this, I think. It's just hearing that raw behind the scenes part of running a business. I think one thing I want to say is whether you're running a company, whether you're running a team, whether you're leading a team of one person or a hundred people, I think it's the most incredible feeling. It's the most rewarding thing you can do. And it is, it's an amazing journey to go on because you write your own stories. You write your own life. You write your own lifestyle. There's so many perks to it. You can see the impact you have on other people. I see the impact we've had on people who have been with us for just a year and they've moved on and what they're doing now with their careers to those that have been with us for so many years and what they're, what they're doing <laughs> now. Like it's, it's an incredible journey to go on, but there's that vulnerable side that I think we should be open to talking about more and I don't even think it's just a gender thing like you mentioned male suicide rates are really high and I don't even just think it's men that need to talk about it. I think just in general leaders should be more open about things don't go well or I messed up or I stressed about this or I'm really anxious about these things and I'm really glad we had this conversation so thank you thank you for um, me my last question for you, I want to do this for every episode, so please feel honoured you are the first okay. to do this. What three things could the listener action tomorrow to essentially help them become a better leader or separately an entrepreneur, but just three things punch you that you think, this really helped me get to where I am today? Reach out and ask for help. That's massive. Reach out and ask for help. Have humility to know that you don't know everything. The second thing comes around the team and being prepared to be vulnerable in front of the team. And the more vulnerable I am, I seem to be getting more from the team. And the third thing is to not lose sight of how far you've come. And I wish I could sometimes. It's easy to preach that, right? But it's hard to it's hard to do it sometimes. But I come on shows like this and have the amazing opportunity to share. And I sit here now 
with kind of hairs standing where I'm like, yeah, it's been all right. It's been all right. And actually when you're getting emails and calls and you're seeing stuff from afar and you're making your own reality, just sometimes remember that you're doing all right. And if people want to reach out, they're listening to this, want to reach out to you, how can they best find you? Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best format. I am <laughs> probably spend too much time on LinkedIn. I have this unhealthy habit where I wake up, I look at Sky Sports, I look at the bank, I look at LinkedIn, I look at my emails, and then I say good morning to my other half, and that needs to that needs to change. But I'm on LinkedIn an awful lot, so perhaps uh, reach out on there. I'm always happy to support. I love helping others. And just a massive thank you for inviting me today to share my story and and yeah, you're right. More leaders need to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. And hopefully in listening today, someone has realized that there is a person behind this beast of an agency that's growing. And I'm hugely proud of what we've built, but I don't have good days every day. Nathan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you.